Welcome to the morning community of Northridge Vineyard. Our deepest desire is that you will encounter Jesus as you listen in to our morning gathering. If you'd like to find out more about us, check out our website, northridge.org.au forward slash mornings. Well, it's fun to be here today, I think the first Sunday after Easter. Um, as Rob said, it's a great privilege to be preaching today to you and sharing with you. Um, when Rob and Bonnie asked me to, to come and speak this morning, I think it was just before Christmas, so, and they said, yeah, just do something about money and sort of wealth and sort of stuff. <laughs> I think that was the brief I got. <laughs> Some <of that>. uh, <laughs> and so I sort of went to the Lord and said, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? Because it takes quite a while for me to sort of wind myself up to do a sort of sermon. And he said, yeah, just wisdom. Let's, do, let's look at what the books of wisdom have to say about money. And, just, uh, and so today we're going to be looking at the entire book of Proverbs, so strap in, we're in for a bit of a ride, um, and uh, I did try to condense it into three points, but unfortunately there are more than three points there, for which I apologise for those of you who are Anglican and like three points in the sermon and no more. There are actually 11, but, so, <laughs> but we'll get there. So if I had the first slide, Vivo, thank you. This is where the technology always helps, doesn't it? Um, Jonathan Gould, when he came down for the um, uh, prayer conference, reminded me and reminded us all who were there when he preached of um, the first sermon that was preached in Sydney after the first, on the first Sunday after the first fleet had arrived. And it was preached by the Reverend Richard Johnson. And actually on the corner of Bly and Hunter Street in the city, there's a memorial to uh, that first sermon and to the, where the first church was planted uh, here in Sydney. And um, when we moved here in 2004, I thought I was coming to a job um, that I'd prearranged and sorted out. And Gail, we'd both given up our jobs in the UK. We thought we'd come and move to Australia um, really as the next challenge that God had for us in our life. Uh, the truth is, I knew that if we didn't move now, we'd never ever have a chance to move again because our kids were uh, 12 and 14 at that stage. Um, when we arrived after a circuitous trip, including a couple of weeks in the Cook Islands with no communications, uh, arrived in Sydney to find that I didn't have a job after all, but I, you know, I had given up my previous nice job in London, sold our house, our contents were sailing across the sea, um, it sort of left me a little perplexed. So I spent a few days sort of trying to resurrect the job that I thought I had, and I came across this memorial one particular morning when I was tramping around the city trying to figure out what on earth to do with my life. And uh, the text of the first sermon is, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits to me? Which is from Psalm 116, verse 12. Which is in the, path, in the Passion Translation. reads, So now, what can I give back to God to repay him for the blessings he's poured out on me? Well, as I was standing in the corner of Bly and Hunter Street, I didn't feel particularly challenged to, me to think back and say, Well, this is what the first fleet heard those that attended that service on that morning. And Psalm 116 is all about, uh, from David, recognising he'd been saved. And I you know, looked at that. So the Reverend Richard Johnson, if you, well, this is a digression, but if Reverend Richard Johnson um, was appointed to the first chaplain to the First Fleet, he was chosen very carefully by John Newton and William Wilberforce, um, who then got William Pitt the Younger, I think he's younger, to appoint him. He was a Cambridge-educated uh, country priest in Hampshire at the time. He'd just got married. And they knew, though, Newton and Wilberforce knew that um, 
it was going to be a critical appointment uh, for the launch of the colony to have a godly man um, come there. And I won't belabor this, but in addition to being the first chaplain, he set up the first school in Australia. He integrated, he was very sympathetic with the local community. He gave his daughter, who was born here, an Aboriginal name. Um, and he faced tremendous opposition. Nothing remains of this first sermon, but there is, if you search on the internet, a wonderful pamphlet he wrote to the colony when, he, when they stopped him being able to sail up the river to Toongabi in Parramatta, where he was also ministering to two communities there. So he decided he had to have a pamphlet printed. Long way since then. Um, there's that. So from our, our humble uh, settlement, uh, or resettlement, or the arrival of the first fleet, we're now the 11th wealthiest nation on a GDP per capita basis. Don't worry, I'm not going to launch off into a macroeconomics lecture. <laughs> so, so whether we like it or not, whether we feel it or not, individually or personally, we are a wealthy nation by comparison to many other world, nations in the world. And therefore, we have a responsibility as stewards of God's resources. Firstly, as individuals, but then as families, and as a church, then as a community, uh, and as a nation. And, it, and it's something we have to own. Um, and so I thought you know, today, I felt God saying, that, let's just go back to the book of Proverbs and see what it has to say about wealth and about poverty. And my prayer this morning is that as I share this with you, um, God will speak to each and every one of us here about some aspects. There's quite a, as I said, 11 points um, that we're going to cover. Uh, now, I, my, my wife very helpfully, when I said I was going to be studying Proverbs, went out and bought me um, the Passion Translations uh, book of Proverbs, which I then spent reading a number of times backwards and forwards over Christmas and underlining large sections. And she also bought me um, Tim Keller's The Way of Wisdom, which is a devotional, annual devotional on the Proverbs. Um, and they've been very helpful, and I've drawn from both um, the fresh translation but also from Tim Keller's writing. So Proverbs is one of five books of poetry and wisdom stuck in the middle of the Bible. They covered um, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. Um, Proverbs is predominantly written by Solomon, though as we see there are a couple other authors who wrote chapters 30 and 31. Um, they are neither absolute commands nor promises, and often they are partial. That is, they need to be put beside other Proverbs on the same subject in order to get the full picture. They're observations about how life works. The point of a proverb is to get rightly related to reality through hard thinking and sustained reflection. That was Tim Keller's introduction to Proverbs. So in, in thinking about this, I, I couldn't just pick out a couple of Proverbs on wealth and poverty from the book. We had to actually look at the whole thing. Uh, and, and going back to my scientific training, you know, it's, it's like you, you, don't, you don't analyze half the data. In an experiment, you, you analyze all of it, even the bits you don't like. Now, the Hebrew word for proverb, mashal, has two meanings. The first meaning is it's a parable, a byword, a metaphor, a pithy saying that expresses wisdom. The second, often overlooked meaning, it is to rule, to take dominion, to reign with power. So as we look at God's word today on this, my prayer is that it will bring power and freedom to you as we look at some of these confronting sometimes um, challenges that are there. So, 
Here we go. So our summary text, I'll try to make this easy. The headings are all you need to know for most of my slides, my 11 points. If you can't read um, the passages, these slides will be posted with the um, talk afterwards and made available. So here is Agur's prayer. Agur's prayer is, is, is Proverbs. He wrote Proverbs chapter 30. Um, we don't know a lot about him. It's the only time he appears in the Bible. A number of Jewish scholars actually think it's a pseudonym for Solomon, um, and, but it, it's not necessary for to this morning. But his prayer in the middle of this, he says, God, there are two things I'm asking you, you for before I die, only two. Empty out my heart of everything that is false, every line, every crooked thing, and give me neither undue poverty nor undue wealth, but rather feed my soul with a measure of prosperity that pleases you. May my satisfaction be found in you. Don't let me be so rich that I don't need you or so poor that I have to resort to dishonesty just to make ends meet. Then my life will never detract from bringing glory to your name. This is like the summary of of the content of Proverbs for, for an individual. And so in order to understand how he gets to this point, we're going to have to go back and look at the first 29 chapters. But the points are there. He wants neither undue poverty nor undue wealth. He understood the extremes of poverty and wealth bring challenges on both sides. He wants his soul to be fed with a measure of prosperity that pleases God. In other words, what I've been assigned by God, I should be happy with. He wants his satisfaction to be found in God. He understands that if he's Ultimately too rich, he may decide he doesn't need God. Or if he's too poor, he may resort to doing things dishonestly in order to make ends meet. So let's launch into it. And our first point is here, and this comes through Proverbs, is that wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Proverbs 1, within these sayings will be found the revelation of wisdom and the impartation of spiritual understanding. Use them as keys to unlock the treasures of true knowledge. Proverbs 16, everyone wants gold, but wisdom's worth is far greater. Silver is sought after, but a heart of understanding yields a greater return. Money, Tim Keller says, is not as important as wisdom and insight. Why not? The advantages of wealth seem to include safety and comfort for your family, the ability to do good in the world. Yet wealth without wisdom means the dangers and difficulties that wealth inevitably attracts will make us less secure and useful. Without wisdom, wealth cannot truly give us anything good. We want to be rich in Christ. Our next point, don't be lazy. When you're feeling lazy, come and learn a lesson from this tale of the tiny ant. Yes, all you lazy bones, come and learn from the example of the ant and enter into wisdom. The ants have no chief, no boss, no manager, no one to tell them what to do. You'll see them working and toiling all summer long, stockpiling their food in preparation for winter. Wake up, sleepyhead. How long will you lie there? When will you wake up and get out of bed? Will you keep nodding off and thinking, I'll just do that later? Or say to yourself, I'll just sit back a while and take it easy. Just watch how the future unfolds. By making excuses, you'll learn what it means to go without. Poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and move in as your roommate for life. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? I love this one. A slacker has an excuse for not working, like, 
I can't go to work. There's a lion outside, even murderers. <laughs> so, the counterpart to not being lazy is to be diligent and work hard. Proverbs 24, professional work habits prevent poverty from becoming your permanent business partner. I love that. Yeah, as a business owner or co-owner, um, professional work habits prevent poverty from becoming your permanent business partner. If you put it off until tomorrow, the work you could do today, tomorrow never seems to come. Take care of your responsibilities and be diligent in your business and you'll have more than enough, an abundance of food, clothing and plenty for your household. Brilliant ideas pay off and bring prosperity, but making hasty, impatient decisions will only lead to financial loss. In Genesis 2.15, yeah, the writer there says, the Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and take care of it. Jesus also in John answered his critics by saying in John 5, every day my father is at work and I will be too. Work is part of the natural rhythm um, that God intended for us. But we're to be diligent yeah, and, yeah, and, and work at it. Don't get into debt. Proverbs 17. It's stupid to run up bills and never be able to pay. Proverbs 22. If you borrow money with interest, you'll end up serving the interests of your creditors for the rich rule over the poor. Australian household debt at the end of last year was equivalent to 127% of GDP or 189% of disposable income. What does that mean? It means we're astonishingly debt hogs. Here, only Switzerland and Denmark rank slightly ahead of us as nations with greater household debt. Australians owe a total of $45 billion in credit card debt, according to a study by ASIC in June, uh, published in July last year. We're slaves to debt. Is this what God wants us to be? Why do we live beyond our means? If we're in debt, do we have a plan for getting out of debt? Be honest, especially in business. The Lord expects you to be fair in every business deal, for he is the one who sets standards for righteousness. It is better to be honest, even if it leads to poverty, than to live as a dishonest fool. What you obtain dishonestly may seem sweet at first, but sooner or later you'll live to regret it. You know, I have the privilege of being a fund manager and running a venture capital fund, and I say privilege because... You know, we manage money for the Australian government and for four large super funds and for a large multinational. So I feel that I have a number of stakeholders that I'm answerable to on a daily basis as we make investments and as we seek to do the right thing with that money. Money has tremendous ways to tempt us. It's powerful. But it can be tamed and is good. And actually, God wants us to tame it and to use it for his good. One of the challenges of money and wealth is that it's very easy for us to then suddenly decide that we can rely on it. We can buy our way out of problems. We can buy our way, fixes things, and we trust our riches rather than God. So Proverbs 11, keep trusting in your riches and down you'll go, but the lovers of God rise up like flowers in the spring. 
The rich in their conceit imagine that their wealth is enough to protect them. It becomes their confidence in a day of trouble. Money cannot give you ultimate security. Wealth can make you proud. We naturally take credit for wealth instead of acknowledging the enormous number of factors outside our control that brought the money to us. Even with all of our own work, we attribute it to our cleverness and discipline. We have risk of becoming wise in our own eyes and in essence then becoming fools. To those whom much has been given, much will be required. That's what Agar prayed. Not too wealthy, Lord, that I wouldn't trust you. Remember Jesus and the rich young ruler in Mark 10. Point seven, let us be satisfied with God. Proverbs 21, the lovers of God who chase after righteousness will find all their dreams come true. An abundant life drenched with favor and a fountain that overflows with satisfaction. Isn't that the same as Matthew 6? So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow and deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Laying down your life in tender surrender before the Lord will bring life, prosperity, and honor as your reward. Let us be satisfied with the lot that God has given us. Put God and family first. Proverbs 15, the one who puts earning money above his family will have trouble at home. But Proverbs 24, go ahead, build your career and give yourself to your work. But if you put me first, you'll see your family built up. Live simply. That's a challenge for us, isn't it? As we live here in Sydney. How much better to live simply, surrounded in holy awe and worship of God, than to have great wealth and a home full of trouble? It's much better to have a kind, loving family, even with little, than to have great wealth with nothing but hatred and strife all around you. Proverbs 17, a humble and simple life with peace and quiet is far better than an opulent lifestyle with nothing but quarrels and strife at home. Does this mean that, Tim Keller writes, does this mean that Christians should divest themselves of all their money beyond a simple lifestyle? Not necessarily. We need Christians in all places and social circles. What this does mean, at the very least, is this. Our homes, clothing, lifestyle should be modest within our circle and neighborhood so we can be as generous as possible. The Christian community should model to the world a society in which wealth and possessions are seen as tools for serving others and not as a means for self-advancement and fulfillment. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. He didn't say give us 30 years worth of daily bread. Look after the poor. Every time you give to the poor, you make a loan to the Lord. Don't worry, you'll be repaid in full for the good you've done. If you close your hearts to the cries of the poor, then I'll close my ears when you cry out to me. You'll never go without if you give to the poor, but if you're heartless, stingy and selfish, you invite curses upon yourself. 
And listen, for those of us in leadership, the best insurance for a leader's longevity is to demonstrate justice for the poor. Keller writes, the reason that Christians are free to radically give away money when needs are evident is because they are now members of a community that will do the same for them when they are in want. This gives us every incentive to maintain Christian communities of mutual practical love like the early church, where no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything. That's from Acts 2 and then again Acts 4. This is how believers can be radically generous without having excessive worry because they're embedded in a community of believers that will lack nothing they really need. Amen. Isn't that where we want to be? All that we own belongs to God and is given to us as stewards. Our last point. Be extravagantly generous. Glorify God with all your wealth, honouring him with the very best, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Generosity brings prosperity, but withholding from charity brings poverty. Those who live to bless others will have blessings heaped upon them, and the one who pours out his life will pour out blessings will be satisfied with favour. Proverbs 21, a lazy man hasn't learned the secret that a generous man has learned. Extravagant giving never leads to poverty. We can't outgive God. God gave his son for us. The inordinate love of money and confidence in its power, in its power to blind us, and, and the best way to break money's power over us is through giving lots of it away. The first roots of the crop were given to God and the poor, even though it wasn't certain how big the harvest would be. Radical generosity to God and the poor is a starting point to breaking the hold that money may have on our hearts. Radical generosity is an act of love towards God and towards others that exponentially increases love. It moves us from seeing money as a currency of status and power to instead seeing it as a currency for loving God and others. We love God with our money when we treat it as his and not ours and send it out to the things that he loves. Again, that was from Tim Keller. In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15, that was the Macedonian church where they're encouraged to give generously and cheerfully. It wasn't a promise in 2 Corinthians that the more money you give away, the more money you'll make, but rather the more money you give away wisely to ministries and programs that help people spiritually and physically more your money becomes a real wealth that changes lives. So, what have we learnt? Wisdom is more valuable than wealth. Are we chasing wealth or are we chasing Christ? Don't be lazy. This is something that we've been putting off. Be diligent and work hard. I think most of us probably work too hard. That's, I think one of the other things to balance there is actually you know, the responsibility not to overwork. Don't get into debt. If we're living beyond our means, curb it. Let's set up a plan, two or three year plan to get out of debt. What are our business practices like? You know, there's a proverb I didn't read out. You know, we talked about sharp practices bidding something down from a vendor and then gloating about what a good deal you got later. 
don't rely on our wealth? Have we become proud and reliant and slipped away from relying on God to be our provider? Are we satisfied with God and our lot? Putting God and family first, do we need to rebalance some things? Live simply. Is God calling us to perhaps a simpler lifestyle, some simpler choices? What are we doing about the poor? And are we cheerfully and extravagantly giving to God? So we're going to pray in a moment and have some ministry, but let's go back to remind ourselves where we started. Agur's prayer was, Give me neither undue poverty nor undue wealth, but rather feed my soul with the measure of prosperity that pleases you. May my satisfaction be found in you. Don't let me be so rich that I don't need you, nor so poor that I have to resort to dishonesty just to make ends meet. And we started with Richard Johnson's first sermon in Sydney. So now, what can I ever give back to you, God, to repay you for the blessing that you've poured out to me? Should we stand and pray by God's Spirit to come? Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that we celebrated his life, his death, his resurrection, and we're now soon to celebrate the Pentecost and the coming of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would come here today. I pray, Lord, that as we have been looking at wealth and money, that we hear you speaking to each of us. Father, I pray that as these truths out of Proverbs reside in our hearts, that they would bring freedom. Come, Holy Spirit, now I pray. Welcome you. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, may we have your perspective and your understanding about wealth, poverty, about your economy. May we understand, Lord Jesus, that everything we have has come from you. Father, may you break the hold that money has and tries to have in our lives. May we be released from our debts. May we be satisfied, Lord, with what you've given us. Burn in our hearts again, Lord, the desire to help the poor. Challenge us, Lord, to be generous to those in need around us. Challenge us, Lord, to be generous to see your kingdom's work fulfilled and come. Since the Lord wants me, for those that you know, you know he's speaking to you, I want you to come forward. I'm going to pray for you.
Yeah, folks, I think um, there's, for some of us, this is the battleground. That is, this is where the battle is happening. And um, can I encourage you, if you know that's you, come and have some prayer this morning. Um, I think in particular there's a couple of things here. One is that shame quickly runs in and tries to get us to hide. And uh, whether it's from debt or whether it's just uh, mistakes that have been made in how you've handled finances, there's all sorts of things the enemy would come and say, you should be ashamed of that and not share that. And to, pa- to break that power, it, it requires some bravery to say, I need some help. So whether that's, um, I think there's a couple of ways I would encourage you to, sh- to, to, to begin that journey. One of them is to be coming along to a life group uh, and to actually be vulnerable enough to, to share that with somebody or perhaps somebody you feel like you know fairly well in the church um, and come and share that and ask them to pray with you. Ask them uh, if it's appropriate that you may need help. Ask them for help. That's, that's one of the things that, this, that our church community is about, is asking each other for help. Um, but also, we'd love to pray with you and stand with you this morning as well. We'd like to do business today. So if that's something you know that you need some prayer for. I think also, um, for some of us, there is a sense where we know we've begun to rely on money instead of the Lord. And uh, if that, you, you know, the word can be cutting. Um, uh, and Stephen's brought us the word of God so well this morning. But now he wants, he wants to come by his spirit and bring life through that. And so um, let's take this opportunity. So do come on forward, folks. If you know you need some prayer with, for this this morning, we're just going to continue to wait on his spirit. Um, but... Come forward, get some prayer, and let's just see what else the Lord wants to do.